when you think of wisdom, who comes to mind? <laughs> yeah, that's good. We learned that, right? If you didn't know it already. How about this guy, though? Albert Einstein. Or maybe this guy here. The Dalai Lama. Or uh, this woman here. Oprah. She rightly follows the Dalai Lama, right? Or how about this guy? Any Dr. Oz fans in here? Be honest. A few of you. All right. Or uh, to Star Wars fans out there, how about this guy? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Or this little green guy here, Yoda. To those of y'all who grew up in the 80s, how about Mr. Miyagi? One of my favorite Miyagi quotes is this right here. Man who catch fly with chopstick, accomplish anything. Now that's wisdom, right? Now when you think of words of wisdom, what, what, what come to mind? How about those books for dummies? I love this one here, spirituality for dummies. Let's hope they didn't sell a lot of these or we're, we're in trouble, right? Or uh, how about a horoscope, fortune cookie, magic eight ball. Truth is, all people seek to find guidance and direction in their life in some way. Whether it be through a horoscope in the, in the paper or Oprah on TV. Well, this morning, we're going to look to God's wise guy through God's wise book to help us make sense of wisdom. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're almost finished with this study. We have this week and then two more weeks, and then we're finished with the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 10 this morning. Now, I want to apologize to you right now because when you leave here this morning, you're going to feel as if you have been drinking water from a fire hydrant, okay? Because we're going to cover a lot in a short period of time. We're going to be in it, start in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 8, and we're going to end in chapter 11, verse 6. Today we're going to look to Solomon to help us make sense of wisdom and how to avoid foolishness. And in this passage of Scripture, what you're going to find is it reads kind of more like the book of Proverbs. Solomon is going to just give us a lot of nuggets of wisdom this morning, which is the reason why you have 10 points in your outline. Okay, so bear with me this morning as I turn on the fire hydrant to make sense of wisdom. Now, this is a great passage of Scripture here because what Solomon does is he just gives us practical truths to live by. He gives us just practical words of wisdom so that we can be successful under the sun. Here's what Solomon tells us first. First, he says, the wise are cautious. Wise people are cautious people. Look at verse 8 in verse 9. Solomon says, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. 
Here, Solomon simply makes the point that fools have a tendency to rush in while the wise proceed with caution. His point here is that carelessness is foolishness. Therefore, everything that we do, the, the uh, decisions we make for our families and in our church and in our jobs, what we need to do is we need to be bringing those things before the Lord. We do. We need to pray over certain things. We need to, we need to count the cost, consider the consequences before acting, because if we don't, there could be disastrous results. Now think about if we applied that to the way we live our lives. Think about specifically with our relationships. What would our marriages look like? What would our relationships look like? What would our relationships in the church look like? If we didn't just rush in to conflict for a quick fix, but instead we stepped back, we proceeded with caution, we prayed about and properly planned for how to handle these situations. I think it'd make a world of difference, don't you? That's what Solomon says here. To be wise, we have to be cautious. Number two, the wise are properly prepared. Look at verse 10. Solomon says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. In other words, there's nothing more foolish than a man who goes into the woods with a dull axe. You agree with Solomon there? Though many of us in our culture, we applaud hard work, don't we? We applaud those men and women who work from sunup to sundown. But Solomon asked this question. What if they're not being productive? Hard work is really of no use if, if one's not being productive, right? Here Solomon says, the wise person works smarter and not harder. Solomon says the one who's just going into the woods with a dull axe, just banging away at a tree, that's foolish. We work harder and not smarter, that's foolish. And let's be honest, many of our lives, they look kind of like this lumberjack here, don't they? Our axe is dull, and instead of sharpening it, we just hit that tree harder and harder, and we're doing nothing more than just knocking bark off the tree. And what I mean by that is this. We have a lot of goals, don't we? We, have a wife, we want a wife, a good job, kids, buy a house, start a ministry, but we just think we're just going to jump in and figure things out as we go. We get in such a rush to to mark things off our, our list of to-dos in our life and, and accomplish certain goals that we just jump in head first without checking to see how deep the water is. There are many couples who come and say, we want to get married. So you ask them, what are you doing to prepare for marriage? And they say, well, we found each other. We've got a pastor. We've got a time set. We've got a place to meet. We've got a wedding dress. We've got tuxes. We've got the groomsmen, the bridesmaids, the cakes. And you're thinking to yourself, that's, a, that's a, a wedding ceremony. What are you doing to prepare for marriage? And many of them have not thought a thing about it. And we see marriages fail time and time again. 
They jump in head first to two feet of water. And of course it doesn't end well, does it? But many think in this way. But get this, if your goal is to have these things, to have a, a, a wife and kids and a house and a good career and a fruitful ministry, you need to begin first and foremost by sharpening your axe. You should plan and make sure that you're properly prepared. Now, some don't like to do this, do they? They think that to make plans is kind of unspiritual, you know? It's kind of a sign of a lack of faith. You just got to jump in there and let God figure it all out. Listen, God gave us the ability to, to think, right? And to plan ahead. Don't you think it's wise for us to use that God-given ability? Does God do this? He does, doesn't he? God has a plan. And he's taking the proper steps to accomplish his purposes. And we are created in his image and we are to do the same, okay? We unfortunately, we live in a culture that does not welcome this kind of forethought and planning, do we? We don't. Our culture pushes acting on impulse to the point of catastrophe. Our culture pushes to, pay, to uh, take care of financial troubles, just get this quick fix here. Get a credit card to pay off other credit cards. Get fast food because it's fast. A lot of times we're so busy doing these things, we don't make time for our family, and when our marriages get in trouble, what do we do? We find a quick fix in uh, counseling. Quick counseling fix to fix all our problems. Solomon says a wise person is prepared. A wise person plans wisely to avoid these issues. Third characteristic of wisdom that Solomon gives is the wise, they execute their plan. The wise execute their plan. Look at verse 11. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. I like Solomon's sarcasm here. He basically says, you can know all there is to know about snake charming. You can have your PhD. You can write books on snake charming. It matters little if you forget to charm the snake. It's pretty practical, right? In other words, what good is a plan if you don't execute it? You hear this a lot in sports during a press conference at the end of the game. A coach or a player is asked, well, what happened? Why'd you lose? And they'll say, we just didn't execute. I think that phrase is used more than any other in sport. And what they're saying is this. We had a plan, and it was a good plan. We just didn't carry it through. We didn't execute. Execution is essential. What good is a plan if you don't execute? Man, does this speak to us in our world or what? How many of us have a diet we don't keep, a budget we don't follow, an instrument we don't play? How many of you have a desire to grow in your knowledge of God, but you can't quit hitting the snooze button in the morning and you miss your opportunity? See, oftentimes the difference between a wise person and a fool is not what they want or the plan to go about getting what they want, 
The difference is one executes and the other does not. It's not good enough to have a budget, is it? You got to follow it. It's not good enough to have a Bible. You got to read it. It's not what you know, it's what you do with what you know. That's what true wisdom is. Number four, the wise receive wise counsel. Look at verse 12 through 14. The words of a wise man's mouth win in favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? <clears throat> the issue for many of us is not that we don't receive counsel, right? And not even that we don't receive Christian counsel. The issue for many of us is that we don't receive wise Christian counsel. See, there are plenty of people out there who are willing to give you advice on any of a number of things, right? But the question is this, is the advice you receive from the mouth of the wise or from the lips of fools? Believers, we have to have selective hearing, don't we? When it comes to receiving advice because there are a lot of fools in this world, right? Who are willing to give their two cents. It's been said before, and excuse me for saying this, but, but it's good. Opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got a couple and sometimes they stink. And that's true, isn't it? It is. Everybody's got advice to give. But that doesn't mean it's good advice. That doesn't mean it's wise counsel. Now, some of you are thinking, well, if that's the case then, what am I to do? I'm just not going to seek counseling at all if I don't know which one is wise and which one's not. And Solomon says, though it's good to be cautious, we need to trust people. We need to seek out wise counsel. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's as practical as it gets, isn't it? You want to be wise? You want to make good, godly decisions? Seek out those who are wise. Seek out those who are godly. One of the best decisions that I made after coming to Christ in college was to seek out a college minister uh, to, to help me grow in my faith. And I came to him and I told him I wanted to grow and I needed help. And so what he said was, hey, just come hang out with me. Follow me. Follow my example. Look at my life. And I learned a ton just by hanging out with him in the afternoon and the evenings. I walked with the wise and I grew in wisdom. That's what Solomon's saying. You want to know whether or not a person is, is truly wise or foolish? Some of you are like, well, how do I know that? You look at their life. Remember what Solomon said last week from chapter 10, verse 2? He said, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Solomon is saying, you want to know who's truly wise? Examine their life. If you need help in your marriage, look to a good, godly couple who represent Christ well in their marriage. You need help with parenting? Go to parents with good, well-behaved, and, and godly children to ask them advice on, 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 on parenting. 
If you want to grow in wisdom, seek out men and women who are wise. Seek out good, godly counsel. That's what Solomon's telling us there. Number, number five, the wise know how to best use their time. Look at verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. You know this kind of person? The kind of person that can take a job no matter how easy or how difficult and make it more difficult? Any of y'all know that kind of person? They're like the lumberjack in, in verse 10. They go at each tree no matter how big or how small with the same dull axe. This is the person Solomon's talking about in verse 15. This Proverbs describes a person who can't even accomplish the simplest of tasks. And believe me when I say finding your way to a city in Solomon's day was the simplest of tasks because the roads were clearly marked. For one to be lost, they had to completely ignore the map and the road signs. Solomon says... This work of a fool, it wearies him. In other words, this person is walking around aimlessly just wearing himself or herself out doing it. A couple of months back, Leslie and I took the girls and went to Six Flags. And one afternoon, we took Ava to ride the water rides. And we wanted her to ride the log ride. That's kind of a classic ride, right? And so we set out through the park. And I had a map with me, but didn't really pay attention to it all that much. And uh, we must have walked through the park about three times, passing a log ride two or three times. And while we're walking, Ava, her new shoes are rubbing blisters on her feet. So she's like, hold me, Dad, you know. So I pick her up, carry her in 100-degree weather through Six Flags. Well, by the time we got to the log ride, we were spent. We were just worn out. Now, what if I would have planned and mapped out carefully where that ride was? I wouldn't have been as worn out. It wouldn't have been as difficult for me, am I right? Some people live their life in this way. You ask them where they're going. I don't know. How are you going to get there? I don't know. How long is it going to take? I don't know. How's it going? I am worn out. No wonder, right? The key is knowing where you are and where you're going in life and the best way to get there and then properly plan, apply that. Waste time, waste your life out. Number six, choose wise leader. 16, 17, Solomon says, A child in mourning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Now, in this text, you have two groups of leaders. One group of leaders, Solomon says, are young and reckless. Their mentality is, I'm in charge, and I want to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do whatever benefits me. If I want to party, I'm going to party. I'm going to party morning, noon, and night. Solomon says there's a second group who have a king who rightly knows that timing is everything. There is a proper time for feasting, and there is a proper time for serious decisions to be made. And this king knows how to balance out work and play. And Solomon says that it's far better for those who have the second ruler than the first ruler. And we know this to be true from the scriptures, don't we? In scripture, when you had a good king, the people prospered, right? 
when you, most of the time, and when you had a, a wicked and foolish king, the people suffered. So the, go, the good godly ruler is to be preferred. And man, doesn't this speak to us? We know this to be the case. But this is not always the way we choose our rulers, is it? And our leaders, in our world. Oftentimes we vote for the person who's uh, uh, the easiest to relate to. Young people will vote for a person if they show up on MTV or make a cameo appearance on Saturday Night Live. Times you'll hear that guy's just a relatable guy you can go have a beer with. Well, that's great. But is that grounds for a good leader? Is it really? Just a guy that you can relate with? I know a lot of people like that. Doesn't mean they'd be a good leader. Sometimes we look for the leader who makes the kind of decisions that we would make in any given situation. Well, personally, if I make decisions like that, I know I'd be a terrible president and leader. So maybe I shouldn't make decisions solely based upon whether or not a leader makes the exact same decisions I would make in any given circumstance. Do you all think it's also a good criteria for a, for a leader to uh, make decisions that are honoring to God. I think that's pretty important, even if it makes folks angry. So wise people, they choose wise leaders so that life can be enjoyed. Number seven, the wise practice good stewardship. Verse 18, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. In verse 18, Solomon says that the foolish man is the one because he is lazy who has allowed his roof to sag and his house to leak. Now, this point should make our wives in here really happy, guys. Wives, you can thank Solomon here because what he's saying is he's calling for guys to not be lazy and get the honeydew list done. How many of you guys in here have projects at home that are stacking up on you and you think to yourself though my gutters are full the yard's growing up my car's breaking down the house is leaking I've got paint chipping off the side of my house I'm just too busy watching the Rangers play ball seeing if the Cowboys are going to be playing ball next fall Solomon has a word for us here guys he says you can tell where a foolish person lives by the look of their house. Now, he's not talking about the size or the cost of the home. He's talking about the shape of the home, no matter the size and cost. He's telling us we need to be good stewards here. Many of us spend all of our time complaining about what we don't have, that we neglect to take care of the things that we do have. Solomon says, don't be lazy, don't be idle, don't spend your days wishing you had a better life, better things, more money. Instead, open your eyes to the blessings that are around you and be thankful for those things. The wise practice good stewardship. The wise honor God with their money. Verse 19, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers. Look at the last phrase there. Money answers everything. Is Solomon being contradictory here? Because hasn't he said throughout this book that, that hasn't he already spoken about the fact that those whose master is money and think 
money is the answer for everything, they end up miserable in this life? Then what is Solomon saying here? Now, some commentators have kind of explained this away, said Solomon's being sarcastic, and he's really speaking critical of those with money. But I don't see that here in this text. Solomon is speaking favorably about money, along with other things. Now, he's using hyperbole here. It's poetry, so he's using an intentional exaggeration to make a point. When Solomon says money is the answer to everything, he doesn't mean money's the answer to all of our problems in life. But the point he's making is this. Money, if used wisely, can add to life's enjoyments. That's what Solomon's saying. He's making the point here that the wise know how to properly use their money. They know how to manage their money. They know how to spend their money in a way that benefits them personally and in a way that honors God. Solomon says in Proverbs, what profit is it for a man to gain wealth if he doesn't have wisdom? We know that to be the case, don't we? People win the lotto. They're broke. Short period of time later, though they gain wealth, they don't have wisdom to know how to use that money. Wise people, however, when they get money, Solomon says they know how to use it. And Solomon gives an example here of how to wisely use your money. He says, use your money to enjoy life with friends and family. Now, the fool doesn't do this, does he? Solomon's talked about how the fool uses their money. They piddle it away or they hoard their wealth to their own hurt. And in turn, they miss out on all of life's enjoyments. Solomon is saying here, the wise spend their money on the right things. They use their money to honor God. They share it. They feed their friends. They fund ministries and they help those in need. Number nine, the wise control the tongue. Verse 20, Solomon says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter it's kind of interesting isn't it wise people know that gossiping is foolish and destructive we've all heard it said before if you can't say anything nice don't say anything at all well solomon explains why you don't do that in verse 20 he says because if you do chances are the person you're talking about is going to find out I love this verse. Solomon says, don't even think bad thoughts or talk about someone in the privacy of your own bedroom because if you do, a little birdie will take your voice and make the matter known. Any of y'all ever heard that saying before, a little birdie told me this or that? That's where we get this from. It's from Solomon right here. Have you ever whispered something under your breath and somebody heard it? Kids? Yeah, yeah. That's being honest. That's good. I did the same thing times when I was behind closed doors I didn't think anybody could hear me when I was upset and I was mouthing and I got hurt my mom heard me and I got in trouble for it Solomon says it's wise to hold your tongue ask yourself this what good does gossip do if you talk bad about a boss you can lose your job talk bad about a husband or wife it could hurt your marriage You talk bad about a friend, it could destroy a relationship. You talk bad about someone in the church, it could divide the church. Now let's look at the positives of gossip. 
really aren't any, are there? They're not. It may make you feel better about yourself for a while, but it can make your life much more difficult. So Solomon says, be wise by controlling your tongue. Here's the tenth point here. The wise invest wisely in trusting God. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Solomon says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. <clears throat> and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. Solomon in this passage is saying this. He's making the point that the wise are those who take calculated risks and those who invest wisely. When he says, cast your bread upon the waters, Solomon's not talking about feeding the ducks here. This is where context comes in. He is talking about investing in the overseas trade because that was a very common practice during that time. And Solomon says here, using that, using that uh, illustration there, he says here, that the wise, they know how to invest. Didn't Jesus talk about this? Jesus talked about investing wisely, didn't he? You remember the, the uh, parable of the, of the talents? Matthew 25. What does he call the, uh, the, man who makes wise, the men who make wise investments? What does he say about them? What does he call them? Good and faithful servants, right? Now, what's Solomon calling us to invest in? Just anything? Just throw our money at anything we want? No. Look again at verse 2. He says, Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. Solomon says here, the wise people take calculated risk and they invest wisely by diversifying their investments. That's what Solomon's saying. He's not saying go to the roulette wheel and put all your money down on red. He's not saying... Put all your goods onto one ship and send it away. Why? He tells us why, right? He says, you don't know what disaster can happen on the earth. That ship could be lost at sea. It could sink or be, be uh, attacked by pirates. Instead, he says, divide up your goods and send them out on multiple ships. Diversify your investments. Now, you may not get as much back, and there's still some risk involved, right? But there's a better chance for return. So Solomon, he's critical of those who are just careless in this passage. But Solomon is also critical toward those who never take risk at all. Those who are waiting for the perfect time to act. Those who wait for the perfect time, they never end up doing anything at all. You know why? There's never a perfect time, is there? There's not. There is always risk involved. There are all of these uncertainties in life. Nothing is sure under the sun. Now, with God, there is, but not under the sun. We don't know what's right around the corner. 
But just because this is the case doesn't mean we're to remain idle. At times, Solomon says, we're to take calculated risk. We're to invest wisely in trusting God. At times in boxing, you'll hear a trainer tell the boxer, you got to let your hands go. You know what that means? You got to get in there and fight. You can't just dance around waiting for the perfect time to get in there. You have to risk getting hit. Now, don't go in just aimlessly and and get knocked out, but you got to risk getting hit to win the fight. In baseball, the baseball players are told to get the bat off their shoulder. What, What coaches mean when they say this is, you need to go down, at least go down swinging, not go down looking. And that's what Solomon's saying. He says, the fool is the one who doesn't let his hands go. The fool is the one who fails to commit, period. How many of you in here know of anybody who has ever been successful and gained their success without risk? Not many, if any, right? I don't know of any in in ministry that have not had to take risk at times. Now, let me make a greater application here. Not only is it wise to take calculated risk and make wise investments financially, but how much more so do we need to do that in our activities for God? How much more so do we need to take a risk personally and invest ourselves in God's kingdom work? What do you give your lives to? What do you prioritize? What do you make sacrifices for? Do you make sacrifices for the cause of Christ or for the cause of self? Scripture is clear that Christ and his causes is to be tops on our list when it comes to priority. John Piper, in a great book called Don't Waste Your Life, he gives a quote in there. It's not his own. It's it's an anonymous quote, but it says this. This life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Well, we need to commit that to memory. And we need to adopt that phrase in our own life. This life will soon be passed. Only that which is done for Christ will last. I want you to take time this week, truly examine your life by this statement, and ask yourself, how much of my time is devoted to eternal things? How much of my time, if it were to end today, how much of my time would last? The things I'm doing, how much of the things that I'm doing would last? My prayer for each and every one of you this morning is that you would invest in God's kingdom work. And there's no better place to begin investing in in God and in His work than right here at this church. Let me end with this this morning. I want to end by looking to our perfect example of wisdom. No, I don't mean Solomon, right? I mean one who's far greater than him. Talking about the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus sacrifice... Did Jesus invest himself in God's kingdom work? Big time, right? We're told in Philippians 2 that though Jesus was equal with God, he emptied himself and he took on flesh and he dwelt among us. And not only did he dwell among us, he took the form of a lowly servant. 
And, and, and Paul tells us that his investment, it goes even deeper than that, in that he was obedient to the point of death. And not just any kind of death, but a painful death on a shameful cross. Jesus gave everything for us. He left glory, and he gave his life that we might live. You want to be wise like Solomon talks about in this passage? Before you can know how to display godly wisdom, first and foremost, you have to know the only wise God. And the only way for you to know the only wise God is by looking to and trusting in the one who has given everything for us, the Lord Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, if you've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, now's the time to do that. I want to urge you this morning, if you have not, to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Because then and only then can you live a life that honors God. Because you will come through Christ to know the only wise God. Let's pray. Father.